0: And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good morning, Dungeoneers. Yes, I said morning. It is a beautiful Midwest morning here. And uh, I'm one of your hosts, Luau Lu. The other host couldn't make it for this special edition. And with me, is another Midwesterner, fellow uh, podcaster, fellow creative, fellow uh, publisher, fellow writer, Jeffrey Jones. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? You know, uh, that introduction just uh,
1: elevated me about three feet. So uh, that's probably the best <laughs> introduction I've ever had. It also, maybe the, be-
0: the first introduction I've ever had. So <laughs> I, I tell you, uh, you know, um, I'm glad we're, we're sitting down here to do this special episode but i really 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 want to get you on a regular episode and and uh, test out your chops on uh, renovating an old adventure rule set cuz uh, i i love listening to your episodes of uh, rpg ramblings um and uh, and hearing some of the talk that you've done especially recently about you know creating an adventure and, and what that entails and different methods and and all that so
1: yeah and that's you know the basically a uh, journey into adventure design is, is not me leading a party as an expert guide, but me as a person who is trying <laughs> to figure these things out, uh, working through what it means to design an adventure.
0: And that's what I think so great about it is, I mean, it's, it's, y- you feel like we're sitting there at the table with you and just kind of, it, it's the uh, it's the every man's, window into, you know, what it's really about and thinking about things and making choices and, and why this and not that, or why that and not this. And, um, you know, that's it's just cool stuff. I You know, and I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but, but for somebody that, you know, I, we all design within a vacuum, right? And, and you feel like, oh, I'm the only one that struggles with this stupid little thing about, you know, is this title good or not? Right. And to hear you go through, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, I know that is true you just you know when you think about
1: like um you talk about not judging a book by the cover but we we really do yeah we, we judge it by the title we judge it by the cover i mean if you go and do a search for like book titles um you notice they follow a certain theme a certain beat you look at movie posters they all follow a certain pattern as far as layout and colors mm-hmm. i mean there's a reason why things are the way they are, and they and they 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 work or they're traditional. Sometimes people break, you know, through and do something different. But yeah,
0: uh, it, and that's the interesting thing. You get that that white rhino that that does a little something different. You know, uh, Mork Borg's a good example in the RPG world, and then everybody's like, "Yeah, let's do that." <laughs> and you yeah. start seeing that as a pattern. You know, yeah. Uh, so
1: I think uh, in, even with adventure design, I think what's interesting is if you look at like the larger adventures. There's you know there's like the dungeon design then there's the surroundings and sometimes there's all the, the background and culture and sometimes there's factions so but if you break it down it's like to the individual elements are all they all are different things that we approach the adventure with and they all are they take different skills yeah so like i think i'm stronger at like creating uh, factions and background and doing different things but i'm less strong as far as just writing an actual straightforward adventure.
0: Like the through line kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I'm really good about creating situations where you could uh place characters in and have all sorts of opportunities teed up, but is actually, you know, I've never actually have other than uh um then the one I did try one adventure with a sci-fi, um, uh, but um um but it, it in general it's it's it definitely takes a lot of skill and thought. I mean, it looks simple, but it's really not easy.
0: Well, but, but you know, I, th- I think that probably the majority of the audience out there buying materials right now, they're, they're more looking for that sandbox. They're more looking for that, that skill set that, that you're golden at. I mean, like Thane of the Fly God's a, just a perfect example to <laughs> me. Um, I mean that, that product has just this, just intense setting that's, uh, you got all these wonderful little, you know, nooks and crannies in it, weird, weird takes on, you know, the, you know, these, the, these strange cultists have this thing going on over here. And there's this, you know, uh, it, it's just so, uh, what's the way to put it so, so visceral. So like, you know, and, and it's easy having read through it to be like, Oh, you know, this is the adventure I would have there, or, or the players might want to do this there and it could lead off in that direction. And, um, so, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think you've got what what most people
1: want anyhow. <laughs> well, I think, I don't know about most. I would like to think most, but uh, I don't know it's most, but definitely some. <laughs> but like, for instance, take the DCC. Have you read any of the DCC uh, Lankbar series? A little bit, yeah. I mean, the nice thing is they have adventures set up. I mean, the, there's, you know, with each, if you look at the page count, you know, it's probably less useful long-term but it conveys a certain style of play that's very easy to follow and makes you feel like you know it's you're in a, a sword and sorcery adventure. So, yeah. you know, which you can go to the table because I've had somebody who was very excited about uh, playing the Fly God and was wanting to wonder if I had assets to you know he wanted to run at his table. Wonder if I had any art assets. And then then once you start looking at it, you realize this really isn't a, a, a you know a work that you just open the book up and start running. Characters through a dungeon. I mean, there is yeah. a dungeon, but you know,
0: that's it, it is definitely more uh game master facing than than you know anything else. I mean, it's kind of you know, uh yeah, I I get what you're saying. Like, like, like y- you would sit down with it and then from there start to to make your little notes of this is the you know direction we're going with with how I'm gonna use it at the table or whatever.
1: Exactly. You- I mean, the idea was, you know, it is a setting, uh, so to speak, but it's also pieces okay. of it are really uh portable to other places yeah. so it's not necessarily intended that you have to really run it it's kind of just more in, in my mind but is is probably the largest uh gain people would have is actually just reading a thing and it generates ideas and then they place certain things in there and uh into their own world but but like i said again i try to create a cosmology for it so you know, there's sort of a unification to all of the nonsense. So <laughs> I just wrote a lot of nonsense and I came with a unifying theory and put it all together
0: and uh, knock on wood, it works, I guess. Um, you know what? I'm a launched way ahead of myself here. Let's back up a little bit because, uh, I, you know, I assume most of our listeners know you because I think there's a, a pretty tight circle of of, of people that are into the the kinds of things that we're both doing and that both our podcasts are doing but just in case they aren't um tell us a little bit about yourself like how did you get into gaming yeah for me it was i'm not sure exact i
1: you know memories are kind of fraught things to to, to go back <laughs> to but my my most recent history revisionism uh states <laughs> that uh and after talking with jason hobbs on my podcast i realized i think it was in 1981 i believe it was from reading the comics with the dnd ads oh I yeah i think that's what inspired me to get the the Molde box and i remember trying to run people through keep on the border like i think at that early age i actually did kind of grok what was going on with with rpgs even if i didn't know how to run it properly but i remember trying to run um, so my uncle and his uh, and a neighbor who was uh who's a stoner uh and it <laughs> just didn't didn't quite work <laughs> <laughs> but in high school i did, did find uh which was uh i think within a year i was in high school and then it was uh some people were interested and then we started playing uh fairly regularly and actually um a lot of different systems throughout high school so you know, some people are like the ones that just played D and D all the way through. Uh, our group was one that played everything and everything, so that we could.
0: And, and would you say that your
1: your big love is traveler? I would say I would say that I don't necessarily um, like hold like a strong love for one thing, but if if there is anything that I can get sentimental about, is is. Is Traveler, and even the for a reason the Mayday, Mayday. Uh, this is the <laughs> Free Trader Beowulf. Some reason that still gets to me emotionally every time, and I don't know why.
0: Let's <laughs> say when I listen to your <laughs> podcast, and there's an episode that deals with Traveler, I can hear like a, a certain tone in your voice, a certain yeah. excitement that's even above what it normally is.
1: Yeah, it, it, I think it captures a, a great feeling. I think it, as far as science fiction, it's 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 a, it's in a strange space. Because it's really, it, it, it falls short of being like hard sci-fi as far as, you know, missing a lot of the realistic stuff. But I think the idea is that if you look at Traveler as being the uh, retrofuturism kind of thing, like <laughs> this is a 70s version of sci-fi yeah. and play with that, it's, it's, it's a wonderful game. Yeah.
0: So um, getting into publishing of games, wh- when did that happen? How did that happen?
1: So the, the I think I've always tried writing. My well, I always tried writing for the longest time I've I've done adventures, I've done different things, I've tried putting rules into uh formats that that I thought would make it easier for me, but I it just never worked out. Um, and then I think it was um I forget the guy's name, but it was on um I was on Mi We the short time I was on Mi and uh, the idea of, of the uh of the zine where you fold a piece of paper in half okay and it just revolutionized my amazing. life I mean it 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 just like it was a ah, moment <laughs> <laughs> where Jake Elwood says in the Blues brothers I see the light <laughs> and uh so what I did was once I understood that you could just um, you could have it in a smaller format and for some reason, it, so much fell into place. So my, my initial intention was to take adventures and rules um, and reformat them and make them usable at the table. So I don't know. There's a lot of adventures that I just, Just the way they're formatted just don't they do not work for me? So I don't know if you're that.
0: I'm oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, you know, um, I think my my problem as a writer (laughs) is that uh, I grew up in that era where there was it was so few and far between that you were running into anyone you could play RPGs with. So I got used to reading those old modules almost like they were novels. I mean, it was more just, and even today. I'll buy things just to read them, just to, you know, I probably never get it to the table, but it's fun to read. And it's exciting to think about what it could have been or what, you know, how I could have used it, I should say. So, um, so my writing is just way overwritten, right? It's, it's, it's poorly, poorly formatted. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm deficient in all the areas that, that, uh, that, that you're kind of sharpening your skills on, Um
1: but I think, yeah, to, to be fair, I do think that's a legitimate, your your approach there is legitimate. There are people who do read it, to who do buy modules to read. So
0: there is nothing wrong about that approach. Yeah. So here recently, and I'm, I'm getting ready to launch in, I don't know, a few weeks, hopefully, but I've, I've been trying to do these pamphlet adventures. And, uh, and the whole point of it's more just like me trying to get to that, you know, this is what you need. You don't need anything more. And here's how you need it. And it's all there and easy to use. Um, I've, I've had a little bit of failure at that. I went from a pamphlet that was a normal pamphlet to a pamphlet that was a eight by 14 pamphlet. And now I'm up to a dungeon master screen pamphlet. <laughs> so, but I'm getting better. It's better than what I've been doing, you know, I'm getting, you know, cutting things out and, and narrowing it down. But uh, so, so you were going to kind of just Get things, you know, find that that secret formula to a a fast, easy, table-ready uh, uh, game or or, or, or uh, reference material. Well, I think go, you know, looking backwards, my as of
1: last year, my oldest daughter uh, said to my wife, she says, uh, said to her, she says, I look like you, but I I have your looks, but I have my I have dad's ADD. <laughs> oh. My wife told me that, and I said, I don't have ADD. she says well Abby says this 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 and this and I start looking it's like I think I've got ADD (laughs) (laughs) so but because of that and that's why I you know I want to qualify that you know when I say for me I, I really mean for me I'm not saying you know the you know trying to go to the bolded points use of multiple I to me I think large columns of text without it breaking up with headings is is also hard i really need i need things to be more visually broken up mm-hmm. because just columns and columns of text just are hard for me but if i put headings on there and then put in some bullet points all of a sudden everything snaps in place
0: yeah that that in uh, i can't think of the guy's name necrotic gnome uh, hey, gavin-, gavin norman yeah I mean, that's kind of the style he's brought into the, well, at least he's best known for it, having brought it into the, the uh, hobby. And uh, you're right. I mean, that, that stuff is so, so sharp and so quick to, to reference and easy to get through. Um, you know, find finding how to do that and do it well. I mean, that's, that's the key. But I,
1: I will not say that um, and I've not, gone through a lot of their modules but then the uh incandescent grottos is is a very good one but 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 again i think it works very well for being able to pick something up and quickly running at the table with very uh, with probably the least amount of prep or reading ahead even though you still should but it doesn't still doesn't make it you know the way to do things or it's terseness is correct. It's just, it's just, it's another way of communicating.
0: Yeah. And, and I find that, and, and this was kind of in my, my journey through doing these pamphlet adventures, um, there's that trade-off. Like y- y- you get to where, but by the time you get to the bullet points, you, you are kind of like down to the core of the adventure. Like this is what it really is. But you've trimmed off all these branches, all these, you know, this is what it could be. And this is, these are some, um, this is how my vision of it would have went with, you know, how this character, uh, this NPC would have reacted or or this little cool detail in this magic item or this cool detail about the room that was just a, you know, flurry sort of thing. You've got to trim all that off to get down to the core and just trust that, hey, the person that gets this and, and brings it to the table, they're going to fill in their own branches. They're going to fill in their own little details that makes theirs exciting. Do you agree with that? Well, I would say that you could do
1: sidebars. And I think that's a, another way of handling or do an appendix at the end. Uh, no, I think I think there are other ways that you can still provide that guidance. I, I think to me that there's a point where somebody's running, will say, quote unquote, the dungeon. I think it needs to be as efficient as possible but i think before and after it or even some occasional sidebars doesn't detract from uh from that but you just need to you know still kind of watch in my mind not getting overly wordy but still i don't think there's anything wrong with adding that extra stuff it's just it's just that it doesn't necessarily belong in the same column because to me that, that it's a different flow of information and that's not it's something to the side so so
0: you're kind of separating it from uh, information needed at the table versus like preloaded information, stuff that the game master gets the to tone and feel for prior to getting to the table.
1: Yeah, it's like with inc- incandescent grottos. I mean, they have they have some factions, they have some different stuff, um, but there's nothing really very deep about it. But if they had added a little bit, a few paragraphs at the beginning or appendix at the end. I think there could have been a we'll say more um guided rich uh richer um story, and it wouldn't have taken that much more, but that wasn't their intent, so I'm not saying mm-hmm. their approach is wrong, but it's like the i think the i think that could have been with another couple pages of text aside from the dungeon this could have actually um, been a more um a more full bodied adventure that maybe would. Have more immediate
0: implications, let's say. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, just really random question here. What is your favorite adventure module that you didn't write or, or weren't involved in publishing? I should say.
1: Okay, I think the favorite. There's, there's two. I know that probably breaks the rules.
0: <laughs> no rules here. Go for it.
1: I think. Uh, I think it, the one would be Expedition to Bear Peaks. But the second one, and that we we just played the daylights out of that one. We even played it as a Star Frontiers adventure. <laughs> the, uh, the second one would be The Ruins of Chicago for a moral project, which oh. I think is absolutely phenomenal. And
0: also, it needs a lot of work too. So nice. Uh, well, uh, like I said, we'll have to have you on for a full episode, uh, and maybe we can take a look at one of those two. Um, Cause neither we haven't covered either one of them on the show and uh, particularly the road to Chicago. I'm not even, I've never even heard that one before. The road to We're Chicago discussing. Have you ever yeah. played the moral project. I have not. I know I've listened to people talk about it. I've read a little bit about it. Um, I, I've heard that the original version of it is, is a bit mechanically complicated, but, um, but I've heard good things about the setting in general, that it's just a brilliant setting. Yeah. The setting is brilliant. The mechanics are terrible. Um, just- <laughs>
1: there and i i think there are plenty of other systems that would actually uh, work would be very viable i think traveler uh using the traveler system or cepheus engine or savage worlds would would be another one um but yeah it's 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 one of those ones that there's the premise it's kind of like dnd uh like fifth edition you know one of the premises was you know i think was one of the was was it Uh, supposed to be what are the three pillars supposed to be It was supposed to be exploration combat and um what was the third one um i don't know character development (laughs) yeah well we'll say like social interaction or whatever but it's like they failed on two of those columns like there is no tools put in place and i remember fifth edition the promise was you know what you can you can run different genres with this and then i was reading through and it's like you know the problem is is you provided you say you can you say you can run sword and sorcery, but what happens when you start mucking with the mechanics? What if you start removing healing? There's no guidance for it. They say yeah. you can do it, but there's no guidance for it. So I think, in a lot of ways, there's a, a lot of promise. Where with Moral Project, the focus really is supposed to be on uh, on on civilization bringing it back, um, and people with in in the main characters a lot of times are normal people who are in this recon yet so it could be a dentist a psychiatrist a school teacher these are the people that they froze to rebuild society but almost all the mechanics revolve around combat <laughs> <laughs> so the promise was there uh, but they just never they never uh they never, uh, they, never uh, they never fulfilled that promise they 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 ignored it
0: from my own curiosity, can you give me the elevator pitch on what uh, Road to Chicago is about? Oh, it, the, the ruins of Chicago.
1: So the ruins of Chicago. So oh, the ruins. ruins, my
0: bad.
1: Yeah. So the 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 issue, well, there's a man named Tom Morrow, tomorrow, who <laughs> had this, it, and I guess with all the sci-fi, you got to have something kind of, this is the weird part. So he was able to, to travel in the future. He said, you know what? There's, there is bad things happen. Uh, there's going to be nuclear war, and and he came back and says, you know what? We cannot stop this uh, Armageddon, but what we can do is we can um, f- cryogenically freeze people, so that immediately after the the the, the nuclear Armageddon happens, uh, we can uh, bring them back uh, out of a freeze and then they can rebuild civilization. And so there were different groups. Uh, there's, I believe there's there's, uh, there's the recon units, which are generally, um, and I'm not real big on military, but so it's a lot of people who were um, like civilians who had like civil engineers, dentists, doctors, teachers, psychiatrists who received some military training and then they also have Mars units, which are uh, actually like, like beret types. And then they had these um, other ones are science units. And so they, they made these bunkers. They froze the people after their training. Um, they, and then they waited for the signal, but the signal didn't happen till like a hundred years after it was supposed to wake people up. Yeah. So when people wake up, it's like civilization has been going on for another you know 100 years and things aren't great so it's not what they were expecting and so um it really is kind of a uh, you know you know if you if you bypass the guy traveling in time in, and the probably some of the you know vehicles still working after 100 years type <laughs> thing um the rest of it's fairly straightforward sci-fi with, with very little um with very little uh, of the um it does have some mutant creatures but it's it's not really that it's more of a realistic oh, okay type game it's kind of yeah it it, it it's it's very
0: straightforward uh, as far as that goes So in in Ruins I'm sorry the Ruins of Chicago is that yeah. Okay what are you what are the characters doing in that or what what's that about Well it's it is it
1: the idea is there's no central like you're doing a thing it is a sandbox oh, okay and there are different factions and the factions they all split up among ethnic lines i don't know if that's cool or if that's not cool i haven't really decided
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the morass that we are in <laughs> right now in society yeah so the hispanics they have a, a, a you know a clan the uh you know you just go along through that and and different ones have different. Problems, different issues, and then there's, you know, there's a then in, in Chicago proper, there's, you know, uh, have their own thing as well. So, and some stuff is preloaded, but it's not necessarily a, you know, a go to retrieve a, a an unexploded nuclear device or, you know, anything like that. It's just you are, you are trying to, and you have choices to make, um including the the military knew what was going on with. Uh, they knew someone was going on with the moral project, didn't trust them. So they also froze Marines um, <laughs> and to wake up when the signal went off and they're called snake eaters. And um, so there's a kind of contentious relationship that when you come across these people, because they don't, they know who you are. You did not earn your beret <laughs> and they're upset about that. <laughs> And so it really is a sandbox of bringing about, like, civilization to,
0: uh, you know, at least on a small scale. So right. so you've got a project right now, Gary's Appendix uh, Part 3, right? Um, it
1: is Part 3 or Issue 3.
0: It, it's, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to think. I mean, when you came out with Gary's Appendix 1, it was, like, I think few months after we had talked we were were both kind of looking at some projects and um at the time we were talking about a a monster book it did did gary's appendix one kind of pull from that that project that you were talking about maybe doing or did it was its inspiration something else yeah it was definitely um
1: I have this uh, ability or uh, or uh, or deficit in my personality where I can sometimes do some these these pivots suddenly. <laughs> so there's two things. One, it was originally just going to be a bestiary, and I was just going to do bestiary. But I had been also been wanting to do a zine about articles, and so or you know have actually have articles in it so really i think just within like a short amount of time before launching going to kickstarter uh, or before i started uh, solidifying it i i made a a des- decision to switch from just being a bestiary to uh, actually going more the zine route and and put out an urgent plea to a bunch of people for articles and, and which normally does not work out well, I can tell you, but this time it did. <laughs>
0: like... And so the, the, the thrust for Gary's appendix is looking into the types of, I'm trying to think of even how you, you, the types of like thought experiments or the types of uh, uh, meandering one might take, uh, kind of based on what was in the original dungeon master's guide right it's kind of like you know, all yeah. those strange little turns that that book stick that book takes you're kind of mimicking some of that as far as like what can we explore in the realm of role-playing and you know thoughts that a, a dungeon master might want to have about those things
1: yeah i think the the one thing is is you know going through the the dungeon master's guide the first edition uh you flip through it and you just find, you know, there's just so much odds and ends as far as um, you know, they you know also unlike I'm not trying to the part I'm not trying to mimic is the, the incompatibility in the the rule sets that seem to just get randomly thrown in <laughs> like like here's disease tables. Well, the diseases are cool, but I don't know if I need to go down to percentages of chance of catching a disease based off of the humidity of the area, the amount of time <laughs> I've been, since I've had a bath. You know, I don't know need to go in that minutia, but there's but there's a lot of very uh, interesting information, and I kind of to me in my mind it is the '70s version of of Wikipedia for gamers. It's a good
0: comparison.
1: Yeah, you know, I remember about gemstones are in there. You want to read about diseases and parasites, it's in there. You want to read about, um you know, castle building, which I spent many an afternoon with graph paper <laughs> <and> <laughs> doing calculations. <laughs> <laughs> and it's there. You can, you you know, it is also, you know, in that aspect, it's a game within a game. So I, I think the idea is that, you know, like sages, I believe, I can't remember the count now, but there's like like, I think like, is it two or four pages? Maybe four pages, just dedicated to nothing but sages. But it's odd because all that stuff that's most of that stuff that's in there, I've never used at the table. I've seen it used at the table. Mm-hmm. But you read through it's like this it should be used. You know, it's it's kind of a crime that it, it it isn't. So the idea is on one hand is to for the articles is to provide I'll call it like odds and ends that you can bring to your table do it in a way that's very mechanically uh it either doesn't require much as far as mechanics or the mechanics are just very simple you know mainly just tables and so um the idea is that you can find things find something
0: inspirational and apply it to really just about any game that's nice yeah I, I guess that's what we're talking about here is, is the provoking of thought like you know here's an article about this and you know whatever that may be uh you know um. oh I'm trying to think uh, off the, your current one uh, uh, issue three you, you've got uh, the history of death so I, I assume that article it sounds like it's talking about like uh, funerary type things and, and what people think of death and, and how they approach it in different cultures
1: yeah Dave uh, he yeah exactly through different cultures and I think the idea well I think the idea really is that Um, some of it kind of leads directly to potential like directly affecting adventures but a lot of it also is I think allowing giving um, GM's idea as far as you know a better understanding and being able to do um, evocative descriptions and and follow through with things that you know, why people do the things they did. And and then also, if you look at why they did the things they did, it's kind of like looking back and we play, when we play um, D&D often, we are playing a fantasy game um, with the idea that there's still science still applies. (laughs) Right. So like we believe in the circulatory system. We believe in antibodies, uh, all our characters you know the heart uh, pumps the blood uh, the liver you know filters the blood but in days gone by they didn't believe that you know it's like you know the the lungs fan the heart cuz that's where it's you know the heart's burning with heat you know you know the <laughs> you know go back far enough you know some people it's the the uh, you know the um it's more your 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 gut is where your your emotions lie not in yeah. your heart so but it's it's if you look at things differently, it's like, you know, you were, people were worried about people coming back from the dead. They did certain things to make sure people didn't come back from the dead. And then if, the, if you live in a world where people can come back from the dead, it's very important that you do those rituals. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, we look back at the 19th century where they can open up bodies uh of things and find that people have done things that, you know, even as late in the 19th century to, it, this is not discovered, in the, talked about in the article, but, you know, obviously they're afraid people, you know, coming back alive. So, you know, you know, we live in a world that we we say that's all superstition, but those people believe it's real. It's much more interesting if you believe that those superstitions are based in reality mm-hmm. and that well, in the, it, in the lead game. scientists
0: of the time were telling them that right i mean it, oh it was, yeah their reality that they were the information they had or whatever yeah i
1: mean it'd be interesting if you know you go to a you know healer and uh, maybe maybe it's like a barber who just you know does some bloodletting
0: mm-hmm. yeah. maybe it's your humors
1: are off i don't know but uh <laughs> it's just uh and the same thing going back with the the bestiary the idea was i went through the uh ose um srd bestiary and there's a lot of creatures that have mythological origins, um, back most of them, but they are not treated in a way that's interesting, you know. And I think the idea is they a lot of times they are pulled away from their uh, from the mythological origins, and all of a sudden they're put into just a how do they fit on a battle mat and apply mm-hmm. to a war game. And that that's all they are, that is not very interesting. But when you start saying, okay, let's look back, you know, with a dryad, what what are all the implications of a dryad? What what possible things if you look back in mythology, you know, rather than just you know, making one thing, like you know, what, what ways can we look at the past and say, you know, how do the past people think about it? And what ways can we think about it in different ways that still honor the past without just making them just a a girl in a tree that seduces guys? Well <laughs> it's <laughs> you know it, it's just you know a moral warning you know that's a problem also with some of that you know in the past it's like you know it's a more i think in a lot of ways the dryads serve as a moral warning mm-hmm. you know boys watch out those women are gonna you know be the death of you they're gonna seduce <laughs> you with their wiles they're all they're all dark at heart and and uh and you know so you know the negative those types of aspects even with the dryads i kind of looked at that idea a little bit it's it's not in this issue but you know, how can you take that idea and and develop it a little different way, but still kind of keep the heart of it? But kind of explore what does that mean? You know, you know, what if maybe the dryad does uh, is in love with somebody, um, and that guy's in love with her, but the family doesn't want this to happen? You know, you can kind of follow along those lines. But but anyway, there's a lot of great mythology, a great uh, cultural beliefs in creatures um that we kind of have lost so the idea is is to kind of the best areas to kind of mix that into uh into the mix
0: i I see in this issue you actually get into some american folklore but then also uh jump across the pond there and you've got some of the um kind of more ancient folklore of of ireland and and the, the united kingdom and whatnot
1: yeah it's it's a wild so the the thing is i don't so for this is the first one that I really did as a uh as a theme. So normally I, I just go to people and say, hey, you just give me some articles. I give a list of things that I think. So what I, what I, I prime the pump by going through the DMG. And this is hey, here are things in the DMG that are interesting topics. Not to say that it's gotta be these, but to kind of jog some thoughts. And so people have then. up with articles that may or may not be tied to something that was in the dmg which is fine but this time around through so i commissioned uh basically i'm not going to long way but i i I had commissioned not this piece but was another piece i commissioned i was going to use but it looked very much like um it looks very much like a halloween cover and so then I thought, well, maybe I'll just make the next one just a Halloween theme. I guess people can't see <laughs> me make the quote mark. So this one, I actually asked for people to to do things that that uh, had a, a macabre or um, a Halloween or a horror type thing. Um, and none of this is really meant to be. It, what I'm trying to do is look for articles and things that are different from you know what you can get other places so mm-hmm. you know sometimes there's a lot of zines a lot of advice on how to do this or how to do that and i'm trying to avoid that and and trying to find different approaches uh that are usable without replicating you know three steps to writing a horror campaign or <laughs> you know something like that
0: <laughs> so in, in the cover on this one this is uh danny Taran. yeah so just um so,
1: covers. Let's talk about covers. <laughs> so the 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 very first cover was uh, from Perplexing Ruins, and so that's his name. Why well, I say that's his name? It's not really his name, but it's the moniker he chooses to go by. And he offers, and I I highly recommend listeners Google and go to his Patreon. He also if you sign up for his Patreon, um, you get use of his, uh, his art. So I found the cover. Well, it's kind of cool. I'm trying to keep prices low. Cause as you know, it's a, it's uh it's a risk. Every time you go to a Kickstarter, you don't know, especially for the first one, how it's going, how well it's going to fund. So it's all speculation. So it's like, found a cool cover. It's a little different kind of uses art throughout and, um, and then I would say, after Gary's appendix um, funded a few months down the road, somebody else was running a Kickstarter using that exact same piece as a cover art. <laughs> oh,
0: <man>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I made a vow at that moment. <laughs> I will never, ever, ever, it's probably it's a little exaggeration, but. I will never, ever, 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 ever use stock art for a cover. I I may change my mind one day. We'll see. But I just, I just thought I just cannot afford this Mm. because I thought, and also perplexing runs is getting popular. So, you know, a lot of his stock art, I'm seeing other people's work, as I know you'd notice too, when you flip through people's stuff, you're like, oh, drive through, drive through, yep, drive through.
0: Yeah, it's one of the curses of getting into this from a, a non-hobby <laughs> side. Yeah. Evaluating every little thing.
1: Yeah, so the the idea was, um, so I knew I needed to go with custom. Uh, and, and I also have used um, um, uh, Chema Gonzalez uh, uh, for art. He did uh, Journey to the Madlands but um, as well. But going back to Scoundrels Bricks and not to completely change topics, uh, but... I needed a cover. So I needed a cover. And I thought, thought to myself, I said, you know, Zach Goen said, what if you approached a Kickstarter as if it's going to make $30,000? And before <laughs> that's some dangerous territory. Yeah, it is dangerous territory. <laughs> so, so I said, if I can have anybody in the world and I'm doing a speculative, uh, I'm, I'm speculating on this Cephas engine project. But if I believe, like, what is the most money I would spend? The most, like, this is the most. I'm not going to spend a dollar more. I don't care if if the greatest artist comes, you know, down and says, "I'll do it for, you know, a dollar more than that." Like, what's the max? So I went to Upwork because I'm also finding it's hard to find. It's just hard to find artists and getting communication and find the people you want. So I
0: went to Upwork. Have you been to Upwork? I've not. I heard you talk about on your podcast a little bit, but uh, tell about your experience. Though. Yeah. So what I did is I so I'd, you know
1: you can hire all sorts of creatives, and so what you do is you basically put your project, your project uh, amount, and then people will will come to you about you know their uh, come they will come and say, yeah, I'm I'm wanting to do this project and for this much money. So I put the, so it says, what is your maximum, your maximum amount that you'll spend? So I said, or for the project, I put the maximum down. I did not realize that everybody who is wanting to work sees that amount.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like going to the used car lot and telling them what your budget is. And every car is at that budget, right? Yeah, exactly. That budget. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's like,
1: so anyway, through that process, I found there was a handful of really uh really great artists, but the issue was their art was stylized and it did not match what I needed <clears throat> but <clears throat> but Danny's was one of those, but it's like his stuff is very cool and so then I decided I was drawn to take Gary's appendix trying to up the I was trying to up the um trying to up the amount it's making that well what if i put a better cover on it and so i went with danny and uh,
0: and uh, and so he did a, he did a,
1: yeah, did a bang up great. job
0: with that it's got kind of for, for the listeners at home uh, it's got like kind of this uh, gargoyley kind of bat creature on a tombstone with a, a nice kind of uh, night sky that's kind of got this ominous red glow to it full moon Really cool stuff. And it, what's hard is
1: it is because I dabble in. I'm not. I'm not a single system, single genre person. And because of that, sometimes I'm not sure exactly what are the things, that are the elements. So I I did hang the OSE shingle up on the book. You know, but you know the question is, you could spend art and do all these different things but i you know, it's hard to tell does it resonate with mm. that crowd yeah like i think it's cool i think it's stylized but does it and so i've had in the past where people not like certain art and they prefer more the their traditional i've had it even stated on the kickstarter before that people make comments so but i also want something to be to stand out and be
0: different too mm-hmm. yeah you kind of kind of got to develop your own, your style as a, as a publishing house uh, for that product line. I, yeah, I get that, but uh, it was interesting. I've, I've kind of thought about, you know, making system neutral stuff. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like that, the, the two sides of the balance, you know, the, you know, if you, if you pick a lane and you, and you advertise to this system, these people, this kind of content, You know, there's a market out there for it. But then there's, you know, if you don't, if you make it system neutral, you know, would you draw in more people on on the idea of a system neutral thing than what you would lose out on the people that only buy this product line? And I just, I've never been able to convince myself one way or the other is the better road. Well, I did the OSC because I figured it it triggered
1: or it in people's minds would show it's, it's an OSR. I knew there was a large number of people uh there for old school essentials. Yeah. But as of this moment, as of as of this Kickstarter, and it has it on there, I'm wondering if it hinders it. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I I because it's really could be, it's just as useful for 5E as it is for BX. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing in there that makes the only thing that really makes it uh, old school essentials and requiring is I use the monster stat blocks from old school essentials. Other than that, there is nothing, nothing that makes it, you know, ties it to old school essentials. So, but I, now I'm, I'm, I'm questioning because as you know, whenever you release products, there's always these doubts and questions and thoughts. What if I do
0: this? (laughs) What if I do that? Talking about a little bit, I mean, I, I, some of your prices are just crazy uh, low. Uh, $3 for the PDF. I mean, that's the cheapest I've ever seen a PDF uh, uh, for Zingo. I mean, everyone's asking five to 10 for them, it seems like. Um, talking nine, uh, $9 to get all the appendixes in PDF, uh, 14 bucks to get the print and digital version of uh, Appendix 3. And then uh, 45 to get all of them, all three issues, both the PDF and the in the print version. Um, and then I was looking at your, how are you doing uh, international shipping? I mean, I, I can't do any of these numbers you've got for non-US shipping. What what's uh, what's your gimmick there? So I use Lulu for uh, print-on-demand. Uh, okay. So you you put in the order through them, and then they ship on the continent that you're you're having it printed at. Is that the the way Well, we're... they
1: don't necessarily ship on the continent. I think so. I know that they have a uh they have a press in the UK. And I'm assuming they have
0: one. I don't know. I don't know because they're a they're a uh they work with contractors is how I understand it. Like Lulu okay. is just a business. And then they've got all these contracted printers, you know, like, you know, my local printer could be part of Lulu if they wanted to apply for, you know, oh. or whatever. Yeah. I um, can't see how they make any money doing that. Uh, well, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm as I understand it, that's how they do it. And that's also why I like, there's sometimes a big variance you know i I don't know if you've ordered much from them but but i I do a lot of my ordering through them and um and they do good work i you know i'm not trying to badmouth them but but there can be a big variance from one order to the next you know how it comes back in in the the ink grades and stuff like that and it's not because somebody messed up it's because well the first first one came from this printer over here with their their print set up and the second one came from that printer over there with their print setup. up. Um, but that's brilliant. I never thought about using them for international because like I'm looking at Canada for 10 bucks. I'm like, I, I can't even send them like a 10 page adventure for less than 20. You know? Yeah, but, it's Canada
1: is tricky. There's I think one one of the provinces or whatever they're called. I think it is actually a little bit more. I've gotten kind of burned on some of these. Because like even Italy, sometimes there is places in Italy that are actually like several dollars higher. Oh, really? And, and same with Japan. Huh. So, but you can you can you can ship the, the the actual shipping 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 costs for the UK is I think probably. Um, Let's say fifteen or something like that. No, it's like five bucks. Five okay. But but I the, I'm but I charge a little bit more because I I get so i do it through i go through backer kit so do you use backer kit you don't, do you use backer I, kit I,
0: I have not crossed that line yet i mean i'm getting to where if if i get a little bit bigger i'm probably going to have to but so with backer kit
1: the they use a stripe and stripe charges a percentage which isn't too bad but they also charge an extra like we'll say 50 cents or something so um so basically uh if you're, you're so if all you're doing is collecting three dollars of postage the percentage that they're collecting is very high it's it's really kind of weird so but um i guess my way of saying it where are i going with this uh shipping after I, I was going with this you, you said that you had to add a little bit on then oh yeah so to... between i i i have a um i I, I pay world of game design. They, they set up the backer kit for me. They help with the Kickstarter. They do us fulfillment and they also warehouse my books. So, so, so it's basically, I have to cover that cost. I have to cover the uh, you know, my, my Kickstarter costs and backstarter costs. And so usually I'll usually add a couple bucks to, to the shipping um, just to cover that for Lulu. So, and sometimes they, the Lulu will throw in taxes I'm not sure exactly how it works, but uh hmm. sometimes it'll they'll throw that so but you can keep the shipping pretty pretty reasonable uh through Lulu. In fact, yeah. um yeah, it's I I don't the Indonesia it, it's kind of weird. So you can ship it to I can ship it to New Zealand into Australia and to the Philippines, No, Philippines to the um to Indonesia for about one price but then japan's like another seven dollars so i don't know why huh. why there's a difference
0: i haven't shipped there before but i've always heard people uh grumbling about australia that uh getting stuff into australia is ridiculously expensive but um huh. i think got about 13 i think on the kickstarter
1: i think about 13 bucks i can send it to, to australia
0: yeah that's what it says here but yeah I well i
1: would say that australians there's a strong there is a strong presence of australian um, rpg yeah people there that new zealand um and i would say they're they're behind the uk but not that far behind
0: so right now um by time this comes out you're probably talking about a week into the campaign it's already funded um still has more than two weeks left on it um I, i know that if I remember correctly, you've said before that you're not really, uh, big on the, uh, the whole idea of stretch goals, that your, your, your concept is have it ready to go, you know, look at the quality and, and perfection of the, the piece and focus on that and not all this extra fluff that people get into with those.
1: Yeah. I, and I, and I will say that, um, if you, are able to logically do your stretch go goals, I think you will have a better Kickstarter. I don't think my way is the best way. It's just the best way for me. So, you know, if you're going to do, so it's all, you know, as you and I both know, every Kickstarter speculation. Yeah. But I know there's a minimum that I'm going to make. So some people know there's a minimum they're going to make. So if I know there's a minimum, make. Let's say, um, let's say I know the minimum I'm going to make is, let's say, five thousand dollars or six thousand uh, dollars. Then what I can say is I can set stretch goals where I start out with this is a thirty-six page zine, and then every so many I'll add, you know, so many pages up to the maximum of forty-eight, which is which I aim for. Um, but in and you're going to give them forty-eight anyway. It it. You, you know but you provide the kick you provide those goals to make it feel like things are progressing Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's there's nothing dishonest about it but it is it is a legitimate way of doing it and keeping yourself safe but i don't know i really want to i don't know that i really want to go through that
0: um i've heard a lot of conversations about how you know stretch goals um our way to, to interact with the backers, that, that the backers want this, this, um, experience of, yeah you know, writing the project as it grows and, and looking in on it and is it doing better? Are we about, it, I gotta say for me as a backer for other projects, that's not me. For me, it's like, I click it, I order it, I forget about it. <laughs> and when it comes in the mail, I get real excited again, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people that say that, 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 that you, there's got to be a lot of updates and postings and changes and, and the uh, stretch goals to, to keep this constant dialogue with the people um, who have backed it. Now, I think now I don't know I do
1: the best as far as updates, but I think updates is a legitimate use of time. And I think it goes to show, especially if there is um, large gaps of time before things happen. And I'm not always the best about that. I try and get mine out pretty quickly, but um, I won't name it, but I was reading a post where somebody was listing about Kickstarter offenders that they don't like because they don't, they're do not they not very communicative. And one of was actually uh, a mutual friend of ours was listed along these other people. And I'm like, what? And so I started looking through their Kickstarters and I could not see anything egregious. But, what I'm thinking of is if you're going to fulfill six months or eight months down the line, you probably need to be posting monthly or every few weeks or something yeah. because people because I don't think because like the mutual friend he I look at his I looked at some of his dates and what he fulfilled. And like, I did not see anything that would, you know, and I thought about inquiring this person, like, what exactly? But I think the problem is, is if you have a long uh, Kickstarter, people will feel like what's going on, what's Mm -hmm. going on. And uh, so I think that's important. And I think if you do add more goods, I don't know, do people promote it more? People might upgrade. I've had somebody actually upgrade once for actually for scoundrels of Brixton. Just so it make its, so it'd make its goal. It was like tired of seeing it languishing. People were, were just like upset that it wasn't progressing. So the guy just upped it just so that we, we crossed the threshold. So <laughs> you know, so there is some of that. Um, and I don't think it's a bad idea, but the problem is is you know, like you got a you have a full-time job, right? Yeah, you've got a family. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's emotionally draining going through a Kickstarter. Yes. You only have so much <laughs> emotional capital <laughs> and you're still working on the project. You know, it's like some people, this stuff's fun, but for those of us, it's not fun.
0: We got to manage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the fun part was the creating part. And then you get to the selling side of things and that's just an L biter, man. It's, you know, Pepto-Bismol shots every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, here's another weird thing I've heard. Uh, I've heard a lot of people going to offering a uh, hardbound edition of everything that they're producing, pretty much. And they say that there's so many people willing to jump on a hardbound um, and, and upgrade their backing level for that. You heard anything about
1: this? You got any thoughts? So uh, Zach Goins of World of Game Design, um, when I did fan of the Fly God, he says, you need to make, he just told me right off, this needs to be a hardback and i'm thinking nobody's going to pay for that. no no there's not going to be a sufficient amount of people paying for our back like this is kind of ridiculous uh it was my thinking um but i thought about it 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 and then i thought and i justified my 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 stance in multiple ways like you know what this is this is you know, this is formatted for a comic book. This is should be like a trade paperback. I and going to hardback would kind of kill that vibe and all these things. And I thought, you know what? Maybe he's right. So, but I hedged my bet. I went, I went, um I went soft cover and hardback.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And way more people bought hardback than the than bought the soft cover. And I don't know if I would have removed the the soft cover. Um, I may have had a lot of those. I don't, not all of them, but a lot of those would have uh, switched over to hardcover. So um, the, uh, the, and Fade of the Fly I was just not, I mean, it was just something I just threw out there. It was just, it was just, you know, so there was no establishment, but, but the people that wanted, they wanted it and they wanted it in hardcover. So I think, I think there is a lot of value in people having a hardcover option. Uh-huh. and i think if you went all hardcover there's nothing wrong the reason the reason i didn't go all hardcover goes back to international distribution uh lulu I think they actually offer hardcover i think they do um let I mean, offer hardcover i don't know if they do internationally or not but oh yeah everything's international yeah. so i think the reason i didn't
0: um because i didn't think anybody was going to buy size b- too so that might have been part of the play on that yeah
1: my my so I was so thinking that nobody was going to, to buy the hardcover. I also stated, I'm going to just do a limited run. And so that was also part of it. I figured, no. <laughs> and so anyway, I I'm, I told them that, you know, when these sell out, I'm going to have some extra, but once they're gone, they're gone. So, um, so anyway, that's, and, and I think the Lulu being print on demand kind of made me feel like that maybe i don't know maybe i felt that there would be the 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 desire to or the temptation to print it de- i don't know what the deal is but i just never i decided not to well part of it might have been the cost too so have you gone hardcover yet yeah, any-
0: yeah.
1: so it's 100 bucks uh, for a proof copy for from mixum
0: you see i've never done mixum because of that I, i've always thought that their their proof copy was just egregious just um but I, I, I've done my hard copies both from Lightning Source and from um, Lulu, and uh, had had good results from both.
1: Yeah, they are hard. So what I tend to do, because I do, um, I also use I usually use Lulu for uh, U.S. backers and uh, or mix them for U.S. backers Lulu for international. I Lulu or mix them, you'll get a cheaper bit on a run and it's better quality not like night and day quality but there is a notable difference so mm-hmm. so what i will tend to do is i need to do proof copies from each i'll do initial proof copies with uh using lulu because it's cheaper and then once i get all that ironed out then i just order proof copies from mix them and hopefully all the errors are gone and so, so and might so, be able to sell
0: that proof copy and, and make some of your money back up. Yeah.
1: Or if I don't, it's not, I'm not doing it three times. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, that's the problem is sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I keep
0: finding mistakes. Yeah. It, it never ends. I mean, never, you, you get on your, on your third proof copy, you still can find something that you're like, ah, I should have changed that. Or I didn't notice this, or it's just so hard. Well, I've
1: also noticed that if I if I send something to an editor and then they make changes and then I try and manually go in and make those changes, just where those errors occur, I have an opportunity to induce error. It's probably, I'll probably still introduce errors that did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> then if I just copy and paste the... Whole document in and reformat it.
0: So I always get into the problem that I get my my stuff back from the editor, and then I just want to add just one more paragraph, or just oh, I, you know, I want to rewrite this section. I don't like it anymore, and then that's always the area where a new error I tell myself, oh, it's only five sentences. I won't make yeah. any How mistakes. How can I blow that? <laughs> 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 I mean, on my my first project, I changed some of the cover text and and misspelled a word right on the cover. You know, I don't know how I, 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 I was editing it in a art program. That's how I didn't do a, uh, you know, spell check or whatever. But it was just a simple word as the word, uh, what was it, um, demolitions. And I, I spelled it with uh, an E or an I where it shouldn't have had an E or I or something. I don't know. But but I just like, oh, man, if I just left things alone. Yeah. You know? oh, well.
1: It's scary. It's easy because you're, you're looking at it with different eyes. You know, know. it's, 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 you know, when you created it, you look at it one way, somebody else just casually reads another way. And it's very easy to, to, to,
0: to make those kinds of mistakes. So I know I told you an hour and we're running over that, Um, getting back to the product real quick. So Gary's appendix issue three, this is a a horror themed uh, zine. Uh, in in this case this this issue is going to be horror themed uh, and it's coming out by October it looks like
1: yeah so and this is what gets hard so so normally the Kickstarter will end it's usually two weeks or so later is backer kit then backer kit then it usually takes about another a bit of time to go through backer kit so people you know you know do theirs and batching and it almost always the u.s the the you the uh the non-us backers usually will get theirs pretty quickly because i hate it being there and i can control it so the <laughs> then the other ones will actually go out to the um to world of game design and they're a larger company so they do them in batches so it's not you know me i you know every day or every few days it's like you know try and get them out but for them it's like it it's not efficient for troy to just reset up every Mm -hmm. time so they'll 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 do them in in waves so uh but yeah so by october it should be it's completely written proof copies in hand um it's just a matter of um of just the logistics of the process
0: nice so guys uh those of you listening uh, there's a lot of different levels of participation in this campaign but like i said i mean uh you know you're you're not going to run into a zine much more efficiently priced than this uh yeah i mean you can get in for or not uh for uh for what is it you can get in for three bucks for the pdf you can get in uh if you want the print copy you know I, I always love to have the print copy myself uh i mean 14 bucks i mean um that's uh you know uh or wait a minute did i say that right 15 bucks 14 is the the package that comes with the yeah the digital with the faint of fly god my bad like i said there's a lot of different packages here to choose from uh, to get some of that uh, uh, content that came out earlier you know maybe this is the first time you're hearing of this and you, you want to get all three so that you're you're caught up um plans for futures uh gary's appendix so
1: my plan is to keep it uh three times a year and so then also doing uh, Scoundrels of Brixton, which is a, a traveler-esque. It's, it's Cephas injured, but it's traveler. And try and do that twice a year. And then I'm trying to throw some other things in wow. the mix as well. We'll see how, see how that works. But yeah, so three times a year, $3. You can't afford not to
0: pick it up. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being on today. And uh, you know, I hope I can get you on the hook here to come back for a regular episode with the the rest of the crew here.
1: Oh. Well, that'd be great. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, Lou. Uh, It's quite a pleasure. Anytime.
0: You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming.